and welcome to the first edition of the Rebecca Downs podcast, Downs Your Way. That's ridiculous. My name is Colin Colin Speller and over the coming weeks I shall be attempting to add podcasting to the ever-growing list of skills required to manage an independent original music business in the modern world. You will, will you? Well, uh, the listeners will determine whether I'll be successful or not. God bless Uh, you, son. God bless you, son. But the the plan is to take you behind the scenes in the world of Rebecca, Steve and our enterprise to get a glimpse of the history, the present and the future of the music. Uh, We really hope you enjoy this and we will be pleased to get your feedback as we go along. Mm-hmm. And we start now with some history and an episode entitled Back to the Start Number One. Oh, look what you did there. Let's see what I did there. Unbelievably good, guys. In, in this one, I'm very pleased to say that I'm joined by the lady herself, as you probably know, because she's been on mic already. Rebecca. Hello. Welcome. So, do the first question I have for this, Colin, is do I have to push put on a posh telephone voice like my mum used to on the phone? Oh, hello, everybody. Oh, I suppose I can't drop into real backcountry because you'll be having to translate for me. So if any of you listeners don't understand something I say, then, you know, like, what are I done You can always, like, you know, comment and email us, and I'm sure Colin will send out a translation. Well, should you drop into uh, into true black country, I will do my best to translate. That's providing, of course, that I understand what you've actually said. Which, which to be honest, he, he, he thinks he understands more than he does. Yeah, it isn't always the case, I have to say. I can generally work it out, though. It's, it's a bit like French. <laughs> <laughs> get a vague idea of what people are saying. Uh, before we get in too far, just a, a little bit of a word about technical matters. Uh, podcasting is another area where you can cheerfully chuck... Uh, hundreds of pounds on microphones, mixers, and goodness knows which what. Which we haven't. Which we haven't, because we haven't got hundreds of pounds. So we, we're, we're as a toe in the water, we're trying to get by with what we've got. So if it's a bit clunky or echoey, please forgive us. And bearing in mind the people I'm talking to, we may have some dog-based interruptions. Yeah, we've got Ralph sitting on uh, Colin's foot at the moment. So if you hear any farting, that's definitely Ralph and not either of us. Thank you. No, the, the, the greater danger is I will move my foot and he'll decide to try and take a chunk out of it for irritating him. But yeah, well, we'll see what, see what happens. So uh, the, the purpose of today really is to go right back to the beginning and talk about the period in your musical life up to but not including the point at which you met Steve because that is the subject for a future podcast then and beyond so where did it all start for you where did music come into your life where and when you know I've been asked this a lot and I'm just think how long have you got but um in short I mean when I think back to my childhood and the horrible teenage years, which I absolutely hated, which was kind of sort of like from 11 or 12 onwards, music was a massive part of my life. And it was kind of like, it was my escapism. So even before I started joining bands, I was singing. But even before that, I used to stand with my headphones on in front of my very reasonably priced stereo that my dad had bought for me in my in my bedroom because they didn't like me playing my music loud so I used to put my headphones on and stand I don't know why stand but stand in front of it and for hours and just listen over and over and over again to the same tracks just to and it used to just give me space in my own head um and you know I mean people say music saved them but 
even back then really did but up until sort of you know 12 or 13 I've just been in you know your usual school school musicals and all that malarkey which I sort of enjoyed but sort of didn't think it was quite me and then I was asked to join a band well audition for a band at school and the guys in there were really good and I'm still in touch with them all now on Facebook and everything and, and a lot of, you know a lot of them have gone on to do good musical things um, and I auditioned for this band and I remember singing the first two audition songs with the band playing and this is you know with a school drum kit and tiny little amps you know practice amps and all the rest of it and just thinking this is it feeling such elation there you go there's no. Ralph sorry about that he's got his squeaky toy it's just, you would have to wouldn't you Ralph Try, it's a serious interview Ralph it's growling now. It's a serious interview. Stop it. It's basically moaning at Colin now. That's it. Stop squeaking it, baby. That's it. Listen to your mother talking. Well, yeah. So basically, I just thought that it was total elation. And suddenly, from feeling like the biggest outcast in the world, which I'd pretty much always felt like as a child, suddenly I had a tribe. You know, I had this group of people that I connected with. Not, you know, not specifically like we'd hang out with each other all the while, but we'd be making music together. We started writing music. We were, and it just became, you know, like, oh, I have got a purpose and this is my purpose. And so really that was like the pivotal moment. And I just thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. And then, of course, the pain began. <laughs> And continues to this and day. And continues to this very day. So just give us a bit of flavour of those very early days, because I think for a lot of us, music, and particularly the contemporary music of the day, mm. was a bit of a, a, a kickback, really, against what was going on around us. I, mm. I know certainly in my case... Uh, uh, the, the musical atmosphere within the home was you know, listening to sing something simple with the Adams singers on a Jesus Sunday night. Christ. I know, and yeah. so by so to rush off and listen to mm. rock music or uh, at, at the time was you know sort of a kicking back and because my parents hated it and hated the noise and like mm. you, I was told to quiet it down. What what was it like in your house from that point of view? What kind of music were your parents into and did they relate in any way to the kind of stuff that you were listening to? They did not relate in any which way, shape or form to the music I was listening to. Um, my mum and dad, they loved music because they grew up listening to live bands and dancing to live bands, you know, swing and jazz as I've said in many interviews and Ella Fitzgerald, who I adore, and Frank Sinatra, and, you know, Julie London, all these people, which I adore, but for my, for my parents, the book stops there, really. That's it. That's where music stopped for them. Mm. So, even though now they love my music, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think they love it because I do it. But back in the day, when I started with the band then... I just don't think they understood it at all. It was, you know, um, it was kind of Soundgarden meets Metallica meets, you know, I don't know, Pearl Jam. So it was kind of like, no, they didn't understand it at all. Although they were very supportive, um, they didn't really get into it at all. So, but, yeah. <laughs> I, I 
I guess that's a generational thing of the time, isn't it? I, I think, as I said, you know, a lot of a lot of people uh, would have had a. As my dad's favourite expression was what he called light music, and I used to think, I, I, you know, I, I used to just glaze over at the thought of anything like like that. Mm. So, it, so you you get into music, you, you meet with like-minded people, you start rehearsing and performing. When did when did writing come onto the scene? Writing came in on the scene straight away. Um, I wanted to learn guitar, and you know, like most kids, I'd had a you know, I'd been a tennis player, I'd been a hockey player, I'd been a swimmer. And my parents were like, oh, God, not another thing she wants to have a go out and waste money on. So I had to kind of prove to them through loaning terrible school guitars that I really wanted to play it. So they eventually got me lessons. And straight away, I just said to the guy, like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to learn soloing. I don't want to learn anything like that. All I want to do is learn chords and I want to write a song, I want to, you know, that's what I want to do. So I remember when he taught me my first three chords, and I went away and practised my hand changing, and obviously, yeah, my fingers bled, all the rest of it. It wasn't a very good guitar, I cut through my fingers, but continued even with the bleeding. And, you know, wrote my first song, I just thought, you know, I've got three, I've got three chords I can write a song. Ralph Stewart Downs, you have got to stop, mate. Stop, 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 stop. Uh, sorry, I'm just ad- admonishing the dog. But, so yeah, three chords and the truth, as they say in blues. I don't know whether it was the truth. It was probably just a really dodgy song at the time. But And then the people that I was working with um, in the band, in that band that I told you about, we were all doing the same things. We were all, we were all writing music, all of us. So there's, there's three of us in there, apart from the drummer, writing music. Um, working together so straight away, but I had literally zero interest in in anything else. That was the only thing. And I remember my what I really wanted to do was write a song I was actually really proud of, because you know it's very easy to write a song that's okay, but it's not so easy to write a song that you're really really proud of. That that you know, especially in the early days, you can persuade yourself they're good, but you know deep down inside they're not that great. So. That was my number one goal. I want to write songs I'm proud of. And and did that happen in, in those in those times? Or? It did, yeah. I, I remember writing one song and I was with a, another band as well. So, you know, but probably not until I was about 14, 15. So, you know, time had travelled on a bit. Um, and I wrote a song and um, I remember them all going, bloody hell, did you write that? And you know, you just knew yourself. It was a it was a good song, you know. Um, so yeah, it did happen. But you know, and I think that honesty with songwriting is very very important. Um, just to critique your own work, just think, you know, would I listen to this song? Would I buy this song? And if the answer isn't a hundred percent yes, then ditch it and start again. You know, don't bung it on an album. In a, in a, you know, or whatever, thinking, oh, it's all right, it'll, it'll make up my 12 songs, don't bin it, start again, and and just be really honest with yourself, I think, you know, that's the, probably the best way to be as a songwriter. 
Well, they do say, somebody told me once, uh, there's a million new songs a week written in the world. So mm. in that in that competition, it's got to stand out, hasn't it, if it's going to yeah. make any difference. And I think, you know, it's hard when you're very close to it because, you know, you've got to... But with me, I've never loved everything that I've done. It's always been the opposite. I've always been quite, you know negative about what I do so it's got to be really good for me to go yeah I think that's all right you know and then you know show it to other people and sort of and and get their feedback on it but um and of course working with Steve you know I've got the ultimate partnership so well we'll come on to look at that as I said down the line a little bit if we go back to this the early days then so as I said you you, you're in you're in a band you've you've done rehearsals and things but where did performing begin for you? What sort of environment? Well, I was before. Well, performing in bands or just performing in general. Well, both really. Do do one. Do do the first one, then the second. Performing started when really I suppose in like junior school, when I again like people were auditioning in front of everyone for this ridiculous play that I remember, musical thing, and it was ridiculous, but it was great. I remember standing up and singing one of the songs to sort of, and everyone just going, <gasps> and I remember thinking, why are you acting like that? What's the matter with you? And somebody, rec- you know, the teacher had recorded it, and I just thought it sounded dreadful. But everyone went, wow, you've got a really good voice. Me, 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 me. So, I, so I was given one of the lead roles, and I loved it. Um, and I loved acting as well. Um, so it was kind of like, you know, so that's where it all started, really. And then um, carried on the same in secondary school. Um, even though I was properly out of my comfort zone a lot because there was, you know, I didn't know anyone in the who was doing the plays or anything. And that, that for me is quite difficult, especially at the time, wasn't I was the kid that sat at the back, you know, in the schoolroom, um, the quiet one, would you believe? So it was quite difficult to do that, but I loved it so much I couldn't not do it. So I was always kind of like forcing myself to do it, knowing that it would be really awkward in places because I just didn't feel very confident. But as soon as I got the script and got the songs, I'd be all right. So that's kind of where that that all began, really. And what about bands? Bands, it was the one at 12, 13 years old. You know. and, and what environment did you perform in with them? We, our first performance was at the school bloody hall and it was a right disaster. Well, it was a good gig. I mean, we played well, but as usual, I'm not going to say anything, you know, about sound, but, you know, we'd set the sound, we'd set the PA and then this really helpful teacher comes along and turns it all down so he can't hear anything and it's just ridiculous so and I think I remember throwing a chair at one point afterwards I was really upset about it oh, see, see so, that so, was my first diva fit so, but so were the band and the moms and dads were like why did you you know because we basically couldn't hear our amps couldn't hear couldn't hear my voice but we still like we still did really well but it was just you know it was my taste of you know, things can go wrong, Rebecca. So it kind of set that that expectation that a, a, a very good sound check and satisfaction with the sound at the end of the check is not necessarily followed by no, what, what not at all in the gig itself. Not at all, unless you've got a great sound man, which we we are lucky to have a lot of the time. But you know that happens a lot in performance. You have a great sound check, 
And you think, yeah, everything's sounding brilliant. Woo, yeah, man, this is going to be great. You get on stage and everything sounds different. You think, hang on a minute, what have you been doing? And you can see him fiddling with things. You think, what are you doing? Just leave it alone. Anyway, so, anyway. yeah. So, but I did throw a chair, and I haven't thrown a chair at any gig since, so... No, no, I, I've noted that. We, yeah, I, there has I, been no chairs. I look, I look through the accounts. And My I'm... mum didn't even tell me off because she was so peed herself. Okay. So well, yeah, well, you know, bad, it must have been bad. Yeah. The, the mommy downs was behind my chair throwing. Behind the chair throwing, crikey! I didn't no. throw it hard; just a little skid. No, really. I don't. I don't recall in any of the accounting since we've been working together. You know, item one: the chair broken and needing yeah. to be replaced. But yeah. uh, or indeed, television out of window. But that's... I just think you know because uh, the thing is with that performance because it's different now in schools. Um, what came across with that was basically we'd been practicing and we'd written songs and we were doing covers as well so and we'd taken it off our own bat to get our own music our own music our own amplifiers this that and the other i'd bought a microphone i didn't have any money you know so we'd done all this off our own bat and we'd been rehearsing in our own time and you were forever hearing at school i don't know about your schools but would the orchestra please make it to rehearsal today, else they will be chucked out? So you'd got like a really sniffy, down your nose look at us because we were a rock band, and that's basically what it was about. You know, it's kind of like, oh yeah, but you're not you're not playing a violin, are you, love? You know, sort of thing. So that's basically what happened, and that's why we were all so angry because I just thought, to hell with you, mate. You know, this is us. We're creative. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, as ever was. I could, the school I went to was a, a, a real hard-nosed, old-fashioned grammar school that was big, big into music. But I can remember a very similar scenario where a school, a, a rock band, was allowed to perform mm. at a school event, and some of the music masters were walking around looking like priests who, who, who'd had the devil turn up in their church. You know? Oh yeah, I had one man on the front row who was, a, a, you know, like the deputy head, basically just looked down at his hands the entire time. <laughs> And, you know, and you just think, I mean, we weren't playing, you know, ACDC. I think we were playing bloody Eric Clapton. I mean, Jesus, you know, get a grip. And Merry Christmas, everybody. I mean, you know, it's hardly satanic, is it? But never mind. (laughs) So. Screw you, man. (laughs) (laughs) So let's let's talk about the the graduation to to pubs, because that's obviously, Mm. I guess, where you went after that. And how, how did that go? Well, we played a pub in that band. We supported another band who were like, you know, they were big kids. They were like 18 or 17, and there's us turning up, you know, 14, 13, 14, then with our little, carrying our little 10 watt practice amps. I was even playing the bass as well as singing because we, we couldn't find a bass player. I was a terrible bass player as well as singer because, as you know, if you know about bass, the bass line often often goes in the opposite direction to the melody line, so it's very hard to do the, the two together. I didn't do it well. But anyway, apart from being nervous as hell and 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 almost nearly in tears before I went on, we blew the other band off the stage. We really did, you know. And I hate it when people say that, you know, on Facebook. Oh, man, we killed it. We blew the band off the stage. We blew the roof off. But looking back at my little 13-year-old self, we did, you know, and even they were sort of like, wow. I mean, we had a great, we had two great guitarists with us, Adam Dunn, who has gone to the London Guitar Schools, 
virtuoso guitarist, and he was even then. Dan Whitehouse, who's got his own great folk career now. So, you know, we'd got people in that band, even at that age, that were just great musicians and were always going to be. So that that was pretty cool, actually, doing that. But, you know, gigging in pubs isn't exactly... It's It can be very, very tough. It can be great, but it can be very, very tough. Uh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, we've all seen that, haven't we? The, the 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 sort of trials and tribulations of loading in, loading out, trying to get the audience to pay attention, etc. You got any particular stories from that phase at all? Oh man, I've probably got hundreds. But it's just you know the usual stories of you lugging gear in the door, and you got people standing in the door smoking while you're trying to carry a, a, an amplifier that's bigger than your own self past them and they're just sort of standing there looking at you and then you know you've got to ask somebody to you know the people playing on the snooker table are upset because they've got to be asked to move while he's set up and all the rest of it and people are giving you the dirtiest looks like you basically come to i don't know stab their children when really you've just come to play some music and you're being paid for it but it's yeah it's a bit of a it's it's good because you can have some really good pub gigs but it is like most of the music music um experience it's not in any which way glamorous at all <laughs> okay so let's let's move on a bit and and a little bit about you know what you did after that so you sort of kicked off in, in in rock bands school pubs so what was it different band different different type of music where did you where did it loads go loads of bands i mean loads of bands and different guises really i mean from really heavy like sort of pantera if you don't know pantera kind of like really heavy metal um skid row type bands to blues bands um and stuff in between as well just like covers bands and stuff and then for a long time uh kind of like a prog rock band which was like if you know you prog dream theater and and so kind of songs that last about 10 minutes and everyone walks out because they're bored um well, not everyone, but I don't think we were in Dream Theatre's league, unfortunately. Although the musicianship was great. Um, so everything, everything and, and, and anything. And um, and again, my sort of, my vision of myself and who I was changed with the music as well. So when I joined a band that I was in for, well, I didn't join it, I kind of started it called Ex-Sister. That was, I think we went for about seven or eight years. There was kind of, yeah, like, mm, Sangon, indie, but hard, hard rock sort of indie. Um, I'd kind of developed this persona that I felt happy with on stage. And, and we, you know, I love that band to bits. It's crazy. Uh, Dan Clark was in that band on bass, Nick Pointer was on drums, Paul Yates, great guitarist, was on guitar, we wrote the songs together. Um, and it was it was it was a real shame that, that didn't go anywhere because I think we had some great songs and I think, you know, meeting 
having exposure at the right time we probably would have done but it's just it's the story of every other band out there you know great songs great musicianship probably just not in the right place at the right time especially then but that was the band when I look back that you know and I still listen to the music that we've created now and I still think it's great that you know kind of my heart lies with like I guess no not you know without trampling into what I'm doing now but looking back on the past that's the one that really stands out okay and any particular experiences from that phase I know you've talked about particular venues that you've performed at have you got any particular favorites or occasions where you know places that you went mm-hmm. and that kind of gave you a lifetime a lifetime lasting experience I mean again it was like you know it was hard getting gigs even back then um we had some we had some great ones I remember one at the hard rock cafe in Birmingham when that was there and uh, I'd not not long had my appendix out I think it was a week before and I just thought screw it I'll be all right um and I was um and it was, yeah, that was a great gig. And we had another great gig in Wolverhampton's. Um, it was the Little Civic. We had another great gig there. A lot of them were plagued with the fact that because we were a, a sort of quite a heavy rock act, but with a female singer, at the time they just didn't seem to know where to place us. It was like we'd be on a bill with bands that were screaming at the front of them and that's fine because you know sometimes I listen to bands that scream and the architects and you know um testament and I've listened to bands like that but it wasn't really the right bill for us so a lot of the time I think we were plagued by that and also the fact I think that I think we needed a manager and someone to kick our butts to be honest with you um but yeah, I, I you know there was a few great gigs. We had some laughs, and I remember being at um, playing the Cavern in Liverpool once, and pulling up in our two cars and trying to um, get our gear into the place. And these uh, group of scouts is coming up saying, "Do you want any help with that?" It's like, uh, "No, you're all right, mate." <laughs> Bless them. Thinking, would we ever see their mums again? Do you want any help with the arms, mate? <laughs> That's not very good accent. Sorry. So um, yeah, so we had we had fun. We had a lot of fun, um, but we should have worked harder as well. Well, yeah, you don't know do you, what cause and effect in that. And then, I mean, as I said, I really just want to cover the period up to the point where you and Steve got together. Uh, there was there was a gap when you stopped being involved with original music mm-hmm. uh it, it what brought that about was a sort of just a you didn't feel it was going anywhere or disillusionment or, or what was the background to that everything i think i think disillusionment i think i'd lost faith in myself and my ability to write music and 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 i didn't feel like i could carry it off anymore at that point i just felt like when I stood on stage, I was a charlatan at that point. Now, that sounds really weird, but I felt like I was acting. I felt like I was, you know, I was having to act a different way to be on stage to do the do the gig. And, you know, I really did think Exister was going somewhere, and it did, you know, really give me a kick in, I think, 
creatively and emotionally and obviously we put a lot of time and money into that uh, band um, and it was just lack of confidence and I think I thought that's it you know it's over just get on with your life you know what's what you know um, so I did covers bands at that point I did uh, a swing quartet at that point to get money you know they were all money because I, I was I just thought I've never made any bloody money out of this I'm gonna start to try and make some so um, I did you know I did the usual you know corporate events I, and uh, weddings and I you know to be honest I love swing music and I chose to do that because I thought what kind of music can I sing or you know for a, a long period of time you know every weekend and not wanna you know slip my own wrist and swing is one of those types of music and also it's easier to manage you haven't got so many people in the band you know um you don't, you know, I, I just couldn't see myself on stage singing It's Raining Men. I, You know, I think I would have just thrown myself off it onto my <laughs> own face. Um, I just, you know, I just couldn't, I just couldn't do that. But, I, you know, I love a lot of the swing songs that are kind of quite obscure as well. So <laughs> sometimes that didn't win over uh, your corporate event. But, you know, I enjoyed myself. Um, but all the while I was doing that, even though I was getting more money than I'd ever got before, it's quite a lucrative game that was at the time, um, I just felt like I was, there was something missing, that there was a part of me that was just, like I'd switched it off, like it was just dead. And then a few years later, you know, I got, I got the bug again, really, and I thought, well, why don't I just join a covers band, like a rock band, and just start up you know just see how I feel and so I did you know a local band and then another local band and I just thought what how on earth have I stayed away from this you know even though it was just you know doing the pubs all the rest of it there's no shame in doing pubs it's bloody hard work and you know hats are off to everyone that does it you know um well, and that very nicely brings us round to the point where the Downs-Burkitt partnership started. And mm. as I said earlier, what we'd like to do is get come back to that and, you know, the, the seeds of that and how they were sown and germinated um, in, in a future episode. So, well, thank you for that. And thank you for a very interesting and honest insight to your uh, mm. your early days. I, um, you know, fascinating stuff. And uh, also, just as a comment, I know a lot of people get... It's quite funny. You do see some fans, not our fans, I hasten to add, are all very well behaved, but some fans kind of kicking off when they find that they're a musician from their favourite band has indulged in a different genre of music. I, I actually take my hat off to you guys who can who can turn your hands to most things. I think it's a sign of uh, versatility and, and superb mu musicianship. Well, and thank you. And I mean, and any musician worth their soul has a lot of different musical genre tastes. You know, they're not just going to go, I listen to rock, and that's it. You know, how can you? You walk down the street, you walk in a shopping mall, and you hear something, either, you know, it's not your deliberate choice, but you hear it and you will be influenced by it. That's just life. Well, uh, again, in the future, we'll come back to look at the, the songwriting process and how that works for you and Steve particularly at the moment. And and one of the aspects we will cover there is, is genre and how you write and and you know what that's what that's led to and the, the the stack of songs that are on the shelf that 
probably mm. don't quite fit with the current music, but are nevertheless very good in their own right. Okay, so we're, we're coming towards the end here. I, I just uh, uh, hope you've enjoyed this. As I said, if, if you're listening in, you, you want to uh, give us some feedback, uh, please do so. Or ask a question. Or ask a question for future. Well, what we'll do is we'll advertise... Um, the future ones and the subjects to be covered and we can invite people to write in either via Facebook, email or all the usual methods of contacting us. Uh, just a quick reminder, if the, the music's available uh, from, our, from us at rebeccadowns.com forward slash shop and if you've got this far in the podcast, I'm pleased to tell you that if you want to buy something from there in the coming week, if you enter the code PODCAST in capitals, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, all in capitals, at the right point in the checkout process, you'll get a 5% discount as your Why reward. Me? What's going on here, Spella? And there will be a similar discount code in future podcast episodes, but not the same one. Oh! These are time-limited offers, as you can imagine, the management making only ever making time-limited li- offers, <laughs> if, if indeed any offers at all. So, in the next episode, I'm hoping to pin Steve Burkett down and take him back to the start uh, with a look at his pre-Downs music career, which in, is, is a very interesting story. And then, in the third episode, we'll get them both together to hear about how they got together. And, and we'll beat each other up now, manager. Well, that's trouble. That, that will probably involve three people in the room and two dogs. Uh, but in the meantime look out for the next episode hopefully next week and in the meantime thank you for listening Uh, it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from Ralph yeah Ralph oh you've upset him now you've squeaked his squeaky (laughs) well he wasn't going to do it so somebody had to step in he's upset now it's goodbye from Ralph and it's goodbye from me Rebecca thanks for listening guys love you thanks everyone see you again soon